sermon. And you'll see why as we go. It's a very preparatory type sermon for the revival that God has for us. And so let's go ahead and open with prayer. So Lord, I thank you for what you're doing tonight. We come to you in Jesus' name and through his blood. And we ask that the heavens be open, that your glory come. Lord, I ask you to anoint and speak through me everything that needs to be spoken tonight. They will go forth in glory and power and strong anointing, Lord. That your Holy Spirit will move upon all those that are going to be hearing this. Lord, to help us to give you our full attention, our best year, our focus, to be good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives. And Lord, that this will go out among the nations, that the winds of your Spirit carry this out among the nations. It will go forth and accomplish everything you sent it forth to do. Let it be anointed to break through like the hammer of the word of God breaking through. Um, let it be a sword that's going to penetrate, a light that shines bright, dispelling darkness and deception, exposing the enemy, exposing things of the enemy. And let, it, let there be a washing of the water. But Lord, let this be living seeds of truth sown into good soil, watered by the Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And we stand on your word that this will not return void, but accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. And the birds of the air may try to steal the seed, but we agree together right now that we bind up anything of Satan's kingdom that would try to hinder this in Jesus' name. In any way, getting where it's supposed to, accomplishing what it's supposed to accomplish, any hindrance of the enemy, we bind you in Jesus' name, command you to back off, and Lord, let this go forth. And we stand on the promise everything will take place through this, that your will to be done. Speak through me tonight with clarity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm dealing with part eight of the Blood and Fire series, and tonight I'm going to be dealing with Satan's fifth column, which I talked about last week, but of course I'm not just going to stick with that one topic there. I, want, I really want to get to some areas of two spirits, a religious spirit and a spirit of death, and they kind of work together, and I want to talk about that tonight as well. All right, so you, guys, you guys ready to get into the Word? So Matthew chapter 24, verse 4. Some of these things I've preached on before, but I really believe this will be a blessing, you guys. I feel like this will, this will help you because as God's going to be sending a move of his spirit, we need to be ready for that and ready for other things that are going to come up because of that. And so this sermon's going to deal with some of that tonight. So... Let's just start out with this. In Matthew 24, verse 4, Jesus said to them, See to it that no one deceives you. Now, the context of this was that the disciples, Jesus had been talking to them about the end times. Well, he had been talking, rather, about the temple being destroyed. And so they had asked him. They said, well, what is going to be the sign of your coming? You know, what is it going to look like? What's the end of the age going to look like? Basically, they were saying, talk to us about the end times. And so Jesus said to them, the very first thing he says is, make sure nobody deceives you. Now, don't ever forget that because we're living in a time of great deception. And deception is thick and it's everywhere. And you just, you have to know for yourself. And I, I'm big on this, I always have been. But I believe that every Christian, we have to know the word of God for ourselves. You cannot depend on somebody else to guide you too much. Now, the church has its place. Pastors have their place, and it's important. But individually, we've got to know the word for ourselves. 
And we also have to have a personal relationship with the Lord where you hear his voice, you're led by him, you have some discernment about you, you have to have that because I've seen people get deceived even though they go to good churches. You know, still listen to other stuff, other people influence them or whatever. You have to have discernment for yourself. And it comes from the knowing the word and having a fellowship with the Holy Spirit that you really have a prayer life. You walk with the Lord, okay? The second thing I want to talk about is Matthew 13, 34. And this is the parable of the sower that went out and it, there was tares and wheat, okay? So Jesus presented another parable and he said to them, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in a field. Now he knows the word of God is good seed, okay? But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and he sowed tares among the wheat. Now, let me explain what a tear is real quick. So, tear and wheat look exactly the same. They'll grow up together and you cannot tell them apart. If you went out there trying to pull up the tares, there's no doubt that you would pull up some wheat too because they look too much alike. But when it's time for the harvest to come in, what happens is, is the wheat begins to actually produce grain at the top of it so number one it has grain but number two the weight of the grain will cause it to kind of bow over some the tear doesn't have any grain so it's basically worthless and it'll stand there just straight up erect while the the wheat will bow over some but nonetheless the difference really is that one produces grain and the other doesn't but they look the same so it reminds you of what jesus said about bearing fruit you know but anyway let's go back to this so the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away but when the wheat sprouted and bore grain then the tares became evident also so the slaves of the landowner came and said to him sir did you not sow good seed in your field how then this do you have tares and he said to them an enemy has done this see the devil tries to bring a lot of deception a lot of confusion i'm going to talk about a religious spirit later but tares are the result of religion and a religious spirit as somebody that's not really born of God, not really repentant, and not bearing fruit, okay? But anyway, how do you have tares? He said, the enemy did it. And the slave said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? And he said, no, while you're gathering up the tares, you'll uproot the wheat. Allow both of them to grow together until the harvest. And I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares now i want you to think about this parable because a lot of people haven't really thought about this so this the the landowner said go get the tares first think about this for a moment he said remove the tares first bundle them up get them out so that all that's remaining now is the wheat okay the separation there and then after that, he said, the tares will be burned up with fire and then gather the wheat into my barn. So there is this separation that's going to be happening in these last days. And you see it right now at an all-time high, more so than any time in my lifetime. And I'm a student of church history. I believe that we're living in a time 
when there there is a lot of deception and there's there's a lot of tares among the wheat right now but the lord is going to begin to remove them and what you're going to see is you're seeing other scriptures come into play with this where the bible says in thessalonians that there would be a great falling away you see and that's what this is there's a separation the the pressure of the times the the um with the move of the holy spirit there's going to be an activity where god is going to purge out and separate those that are truly his and those that are not truly his and so look at first john 2 19 it says that they went out from us now this is always sad but my wife and i can tell you that we've seen this happen with some people they went out from us but they were really not of us for if they had been of us they would have remained with us but they went out so it would be shown that they are not of us you know what that was separating the tares from the wheat god removed them out from among us and i'm talking about the greater body i'm not just talking about here god removed them out from among us because they were never really truly of us it's interesting and if you go on to read about the parable of the wheat and tares and all that you see that the bible talks about the angels are the ones that do the separating there's things that that it's hard for us to really see the difference sometimes between the tares and the wheat but god knows all things and he'll send his mighty angels to begin to sift between and begin to remove out what needs to go all right then first timothy 4 1 but the spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons uh, that right there is scary so we're living in a time that we're seeing this other scriptures come to mind like people some people don't want to hear the truth they just want to hear what their itching ears want to hear so they gather teachers to themselves that will just simply tell them what they want to hear you know if they want to live uh, like some kind of a homosexual lifestyle they'll just find them some kind of a teacher that'll tell them that god's okay with it and then those type of people gather and congregate there and they all just want to hear what their itching ears want to hear but at the end of the day it's still not the truth they're just deceiving themselves and there's many other categories i could use they you know there's people that call themselves christians and they want to mix in witchcraft it's really weird and they want to have some kind of a christian witchcraft it's an oxymoron you know and so what do they do they get them some kind of a weirdo preacher that'll tell them that's okay and you know that maybe practices that stuff themselves and they'll those type of people congregate there i wonder just you know speculate with me i wonder if that's not tares that are leaving all these different places and being bundled over here with that weirdness and being separated out from the wheat you know but the spirit says in the latter times that some will fall away from the faith so we're going to see this we're already seeing this i could name and i won't but I, I know many people down through the years that used to live for the lord that are far from him now and i know you do too it's sad but this scripture is being fulfilled in our day we're seeing people fall away from the faith they're listening to deceiving spirits 
this, that can be translated seducing spirits. These are deceptive, heretical type demonic spirits that are religious in nature that are whispering things to people and seducing them away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And people are not discerning it. They think that it's God, but it's not. And also doctrines of demons. And this is in many forms. One doctrine of demons, for sure, is any doctrine that will make people feel comfortable with living in sin, that they can live a lifestyle of practicing sin and still get into heaven. It does not work that way. If it did work that way, then why was the cross ever necessary in the first place if you can live in sin and go to heaven? It would have been pointless for the Son of God to come. The reason he came was to, so that we can be forgiven and turn from sin and then live righteously. It's even in 1 Peter 2.24, he bore in his body our sin, what, that we can die to sin and live unto righteousness. So that's a doctrine of demons. There's many doctrines of demons, but anything that's making people feel comfortable with sin is a doctrine of demons. And some of these type of teachings in these latter days, there's some things I believe that are being taught today that has probably never been taught before in the 2,000 years of the church age. And one of them would be this really hyper grace, strange teaching that's going on right now. And in that hyper grace, it's, it's actually teaching people to not repent of sin. It's teaching them in such a way that it's, it's saying to them that your sins were forgiven past, present, and future. So basically, it leads people to believe that they can go out and sin, and it's already dealt with. Does that make sense? And it's weird. But that's what they're being taught. And there's, there's people, listen, there's deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons that are making people fall away from the faith. And this is not off in a corner somewhere. Unfortunately, I say this with love, and I, I have to be careful because I don't want to come across critical. It's not my heart. But this is on national television. Okay, It's not off in a corner somewhere. It's widespread and pervasive. So be careful. Be careful who you're listening to. Okay, And it's interesting because when Paul prophesied this, he says, by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. We got to keep tender hearts. You know, Jesus said the love of many will grow cold in these last days because of the increase of lawlessness. Let me tell you, my wife and I were talking about this today. There's so much going on. I mean, it, there's just so much that people go through. So much that ministers and churches are going through. And if you really don't walk in forgiveness you can end up with a hardened heart. You, if you're not careful, you can get bitter. And, and you have to be careful with this because the Bible says here that people's consciences can be seared. And, you know, when I cook steak sometimes on a grill, and so what does this seared conscience really mean? Well, the way that I like to cook it anyway is you get the grill really hot, and when you throw the meat on there and let it sit for a minute or two, it'll sear it. Then you flip it and... And do it again, it sears that side, which traps the moisture. And so this searing, I'm just trying to put an image in your mind. What is he talking about when he's saying a seared conscience? The, the sensitivity is gone. Where the Holy Spirit can convict. It's like a hardening 
a searing that happened and they don't feel that conviction any longer it's scary because also in Thessalonians about the last days Paul warned he said listen there's people that if they don't have a love for the truth that they will be given over to deception and so we're going to have to love the truth amen all right but here's something I found really interesting when I was studying this because I'm really dealing with a religious spirit tonight. And so I'm going somewhere with this. I want you to see about the weed and tares. The tares are the result of religion. Okay? Now keep following me. Look at this. It says, by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience with a branding iron. It says, men who forbid marriage. Now that is an interesting statement for Paul to make. Why in the world would he make that statement? He lived in a day that that was definitely not going on. But when, think about it. He lived in a culture where marriage was honored. He said marriage should be honored by, well, Hebrews says it. So it's something that, that would have been something weird in his culture and in his mindset. But when you talk about, Paul was moving prophetically here. He says, but the Holy Spirit says in the latter times, these things will happen so he was prophesying 2000 years ago and he was somehow looking down through the ages and he was saying i'm trying to tell the church and i'm trying to warn you that in the last days this will be there and it's interesting because when we talk about a group that forbids marriage who do you think about roman catholicism and so i'm going somewhere with this so you have one group over here that Roman Catholicism, I don't, I, I love Catholic people. I'm, I'm not an enemy of them at all. Um, but Roman Catholicism is definitely not true Christianity and never has been. I don't have time to rabbit trail too much on that. But please look it up for yourself. Please look up what they believe. Because they are open in the Vatican that they do not believe that salvation comes by faith in Christ alone. The gospel that you and I believe, the gospel that Martin Luther preached, the gospel, they do not believe it. Roman Catholicism believes that you're saved through the Catholic Church by being a good little Catholic. That's what they believe. And they don't hide that fact. They believe if you do what they say and don't do what they say, don't do, and you, you're a good little Catholic, you come to Mass, that you'll earn your salvation through the Roman Catholic Church. So it's a, it's a different gospel. It's a gospel of works. It's religion. And then, here's another interesting thing. And, Paul said, not only will they forbid marriage, but and advocate abstaining from foods which God created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. Who do you think of whenever you hear about abstaining from certain types of foods? Jude Judaism kosher eating there may be some other groups that abstain from different things but it's it's a belief there again in judaism do not believe in the salvation that is offered through christ they do not believe it they believed they believe that they are saved by being a good little jew do this don't do this it's a works-based thing it's religion so Paul was warning us and I find it interesting because I love the Hebrew roots of our faith I'm big on that but Paul was prophesying here about the latter days 
and you're seeing in many ways it's very good you're seeing a lot of the hebrew culture that needs to be restored back to the church coming back and it's a good thing but unfortunately there's also some things trying to creep in that are just religion you hear me and i'm just telling you you're not going to be saved by works and that's also what differentiates us from every other cult out there because all of them basically believe in one form or another that your their salvation comes by what they do and don't do it's works based it's like mormonism mormons believe that you earn your salvation by being a good little mormon you keep their 1.5 million rules or whatever i'm just kidding you keep all the rules and you 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 work you get out and you go on these missionary trips and you do this and don't do this and you'll earn your way to this you see it's religion So I'm going somewhere with this about Satan's fifth column and I really want to end up on a religious spirit. I'm concerned about this because this is something that we're dealing with in Dallas, but we're dealing with it, I'm sure, in America and around the world. A religious spirit is a, is a very strong force and it's connected to an antichrist spirit, also a Jezebel spirit, which I'll talk about. All right, but let me, let me just kind of slip over to this. So last week I talked about Satan's fifth column, but those that didn't hear this, let me just take a moment to read this again. Derek Prince wrote about this in his book. I don't have the, the title off the top of my head, but this is a quote from Derek Prince. I won't give him recognition. But he said the, the history of where we get the phrase a fifth column. He said there's a story related about a certain Spanish general who was attacking a Spanish city and another general came up to him and said tell me general how is it that you plan to capture this city so picture this spanish general on a horse he's on a, a hill he's looking down at a city that he's wanting to conquer this city and another man comes up what is your plan to take this city general sir and he says well I have my four columns advancing on the city one from the north another from the south another from the east another from the west and then he paused and he said but it is my fifth column i'm expecting to take the city and the man asked the general where's your fifth column and he said inside the city so the fifth column is a group of traitors that are inside the city who are there to betray the city when the attackers show up from without and Derek Prince writes this, it is only the fifth column in the church that really ever permit us to be defeated. We are never truly defeated from without. Whether it's, he said this, whether it's individually or corporately, it's from within the camp. And I agree with Derek Prince, that's true. And I've seen that many times. So Satan's fifth column is groups of people that exist within God's people. They're like tares among the wheat many times, but they're people that are useful for the devil's purposes. And I'm going to give you a list real briefly like I did last week on some, some of those that are used of the devil in the church. Number one, and this is very unfortunate, but inside local churches many times 
there'll be all kinds of problems and turmoil within the church because of some deceived Christians that are being used of the devil in the church. And these people many times have undealt with issues in them of pride and rebellion. And because of that, the devil is able to use them successfully to cause all kinds of disorder like rebelling against various leaders and division in the camp various like gossip etc but sowing all kinds of discord and division you have this group over here that doesn't like this group over here and you know this group that's bucking up against the leaders and all this turmoil that's going on from within causes that church to be ineffective and eventually if it's not dealt with sometimes it can literally result in the good people in the church leaving because they're tired of it and you have all these troublemakers and then eventually the church ends up closing its doors so it's not the attacks from the outside like the critics or whoever i guarantee you every time that a church folds almost every time it's because of some things that are going on within the camp that caused that to happen it's got to be dealt with another group of people and this is very pervasive now as i said last week because of kind of watering down the gospel and not wanting to preach things straight and call repentance out you know call people to repentance call them to the altar people don't want to do that anymore they don't want to offend anybody and because of that there are a higher percentage of people among us out there that are not born of God they're basically the unsaved ungenerated among us and because they're in the camp and they're not born again and they haven't repented then they're useful to the devil and whenever the devil wants to cause all kinds of turmoil in a church those type of people it does not take the devil any type of effort at all to begin to use them another group would be witches on assignment and i assure you that this is very common even though people probably won't believe it is it actually is very common unfortunately but there are groups of witches and and satanists etc whatever name they want to use there are people that are in the occult and they serve the devil directly and they know what they're doing as a matter of fact they have training for this and they're trained to infiltrate christian churches and destroy them from within they are taught how to dress how to talk and how to act so nobody would suspect a thing and they're very good at what they do and so they'll come in many times and they'll begin some kind of an assignment in the church to to set up and frame some kind of a leader with some kind of false allegation or to cause some kind of you know they want prayer out of the church for sure but just to cause setups and things to happen to destroy that church from within others that would be infiltrators in these latter days and i believe this is increasingly common unfortunately but different groups like maybe muslims or militant atheists or those in the lgbt community that they're strategizing well 
we hate these Christians, we hate these churches, how do we destroy them? And I guarantee you that there's going to be more and more infiltration into churches to destroy them from within. And these people, no doubt when they come in, are probably going to try to blend in at first and then create all kinds of problems. And then, of course, probably the worst in this group are self-proclaimed watchdogs and critics. These people write books. They have television shows. They have radio programs. They blog on the Internet. They, they have different types of so-called big giant air quote ministries, but all that their so-called ministry is is destroying ministries that they don't like. That's it. And these people cause all kinds of problems, all kinds of destruction, and they are mightily used of the devil to create all kinds of problems. And I believe these people are probably the most destructive in the body of Christ. They, they, are, um, they cause widespread destruction. All right. So let me move on from that. I want to get to this point. I want to get to a religious spirit. And this is what I'm going with tonight. All right. A religious spirit in the Bible. I want to read this scripture in 1 John 4, 3. It says, Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God this is the spirit of the Antichrist okay of which you heard that is coming and is now I want you to pay attention to some of these phrases John says that there is a spirit of Antichrist which you heard is coming and is now in the world he wrote this 2,000 years ago okay so this is an Antichrist spirit now let me talk briefly about the word Christ and some Greek understanding of Antichrist. The word Christ, in Hebrew, the word would be Mashiach, and it means Messiah. But if you look at, look at it in Hebrew, about what it actually means, it means the holy and anointed one. Remember those two things, holy and anointed. And it's the same exact thing now when you get into the New Testament and the Greek there is Christ. So Christ means the same thing. It means the holy and the anointed one. Let me take my time with this because I really want this to, to be established because I'm very concerned about this. I'm concerned about the counterfeit gospel, just the tares among the wheat and all that. I have a strong concern as a pastor. So I want to spend some time with this. So there's two ways. Other languages sometimes, they, the way that it's translated doesn't always do things justice. So let me take a moment to explain something. Antichrist can mean against Christ it does mean that it can mean that okay so let's talk about that for a moment let me just stop there so against so we know that that's going to be against the Lord but what does Christ mean against what's holy against what's anointed do you see it's an anti-holiness and an anti-anointing spirit 
Now, here's another meaning. If you're taking notes, remember this one. It can, in the Greek, it can read this way, and this is important. Antichrist can read instead of Christ. Instead of. So it means a counterfeit. And of course, we know that the man of lawlessness, the, the Bible calls him the son of perdition, the actual individual who's the Antichrist, we know that he's going to be a counterfeit Christ of sorts. We know that. But John is talking about something deeper. He's saying there is an Antichrist spirit in the world. And so this is a spirit that is against the Lord. It's against holiness and it's against the anointing. It's opposed. That's where you get things like in our government. You, there, there's, there's just different areas in our school system where it's like anything to do with Jesus Christ, his name, his word, anything to do with him, they are militant against them i mean it's it's a it's a militant move to remove any reference of jesus christ it's an antichrist spirit and so an antichrist spirit though can also be very religious and that's where you get the instead of part this is where satan offers a counterfeit because he knows that some people, that militant, adamant opposition against Christ, that there's going to be people that fall into that, but he knows that not everybody's going to be like that. So he's got to have another deception. So what he does is now, for those that are not on that level, he will offer them some kind of a religious thing, but it's not the Lord. Do you see what I'm saying? It's religion apart from the truth, apart from the gospel. It's instead of. It's a counterfeit. And this is where you get the tares among the wheat. These are people that they're very religious, but they're not born of God. They don't have a relationship with the Lord. If you were to ask them, okay, you, you profess to be a Christian, what has the Lord been speaking to you lately? They cannot answer that question because they do not have a relationship with him. They know who he is, but they don't know him. It's religion. Religion will never save you, but religion will also cause many to be in hell one day. And so when we talk about religion, it's a very dangerous thing. So let me talk about a religious spirit. Now I'm going to come back to this because I really want to talk about the counterfeit more. But a religious spirit, here's some manifestations of a religious spirit. Ready? Where there's a religious spirit in operation in a group of people, or I would say in an individual person, like these self-proclaimed watchdogs and critics. Those that, those that are really against the anointing. See, those people, what are these watchdogs and critics and people like that, what are they really truly against? They're against anything that is anointed. It's an antichrist spirit. Anything to do with power, demonstrations of the Holy Spirit's power, 
tongues, the gifts, revival, anything that's anointed. They can't stand it. They hate it. They're in opposition to it. And they begin to write against it, make videos against it, make programs against it. They mock and make fun of it. And they don't realize what they're doing. But in essence, they're really doing that to the Holy Spirit. They think that they're making fun of people. But they're really making fun of what the Holy Spirit is doing. And they're persecuting the Holy Spirit. They just don't realize it. And so here's some manifestations of a religious spirit. Unrighteous judgment criticism and fault finding remember that these are these critics right here unrighteous judgment criticism and fault finding these people have something that religious spirit has some kind of like an evil anointing or something on their mind and on their eyes to where they it's almost like they cannot see you remember when paul got saved paul was a very religious man wasn't he but he wasn't saved see he was extremely religious and whenever the lord threw him to the ground and gave him an encounter with him what was the manifestation there he was blind and scales had to come off his eyes see a relig these religious critics that come against moves of God, come against the anointing, they don't realize what they're doing. But it's literally a form. It's a religious form of the Antichrist spirit. And it's something that has a stronghold in their mind and over their eyes. And it's like they can't see that it's really God moving. And they're blinded to it. And all that they do see is through criticism and judgment and fault finding. When they look at something, that's how they immediately see it. They can't help themselves. They're in bondage to a spirit. And so they begin to kind of make fun. They begin to mock. They begin to tear down and belittle. And then they'll go after it. They attack it. I'm trying to get people ready for the coming move of God because every move of God has this type of thing. Come against the move of God. It's not really against the people as much as it is against the Holy Spirit and what he's doing. All right, so also another manifestation of this religious spirit is debating. They want to debate. And they'll actually kind of try to bait you into arguments. Don't take their bait. Just walk away from it. You know, if you're on social media, just keep scrolling down, you know. Just walk away, turn the other cheek, because they, if they can bait you in to what they're talking about, they, they'll begin to just kind of make all these comments and things and belittle and tear down and mock. And I've learned a long time ago, they really don't want the truth. They just want to be right and prove everybody else wrong. That's all they're interested in. So you're wasting your time. But it's debating, it's divisive, and it's mocking the Spirit of God is what it is. It's demonic. How many knows that if you're mocking the Holy Spirit, that's, that is demonic? Another aspect of the religious spirit is it's very controlling. And this is where Jezebel starts coming in. See, the Jezebel spirit 
can be very religious. Remember, Jezebel worshiped Baal. So there is a religious form of Jezebel's spirit, and it's very controlling. So a religious group of people, let's say, let's say whether it's a church or a ministry or whatever you want to call them, some kind of group comes together. If there's a religious spirit there, they want to control everything that goes on from the beginning to the end. They'll have it very structured. You know, that you know what you're going into before you even get there. There's no liberty about it. I mean, they're going to say from 10 to 10.30, we're going to do these specific three songs. Then we're going to, at 10.31, we're going to do this. And at you know, 10.40, and they have everything structured and totally, completely controlled by man. And the Holy Spirit will never move in that. And God never, if you read the book of Acts and you really understand book of Acts, biblical Christianity, there is a ministry of the Holy Spirit that's supposed to be among us. But that right there, what I just described is basically saying to the Holy Spirit, we don't need you, we don't want you here, we've got this. But that religious control, and if, the Holy Spirit ever starts to move in any way they will call it down they'll bring the person in an office and rebuke them they'll shut it down and get rid of it immediately these people don't like tongues if they hear tongues going on they'll go to the person and tell them to stop it they don't believe in prophecy they want to control out anything to do with the Holy Spirit the anointing any demonstrations of power any gifts they want it out and they want man to be in control see instead of the anointing it's man's attempt and see now in our modern time let me kind of give you maybe some understanding about how that's morphed into our time because when I was maybe a child, it was more in the area of, and not that this has gone away, but I mean, you know, they, they hated modern worship. They just wanted hymns. They hated freedom. I tell you, religious spirit hates free worship. It hates it. It wants people just sitting there and spectating. It doesn't want freedom in worship. But now, what you're seeing with the instead of, like a counterfeit, Satan knows that there's going to be people out there that he can get them like a militant opposition that's like these atheist groups, LGBT groups, all of that. But how does he get religion among God's people? Well, here's one way. So people come to a gathering. And what they're getting is they're getting a really awesome show that's put on. It's very entertaining. You know, it gets people excited about it. It's, it's exciting. It's, a good, it's good worship. And it's, it's fun. The, the smoke and the lights, the show that's put on, it sounds good. They start getting involved in, in a, a church or ministry somewhere and they love the social aspect of it you know they they have different small groups etc which there's nothing wrong with but they're drawn in by the social interaction 
and they want things for their kids or whatever and there's all these different programs that are offered and i'm not saying that any of this is wrong in and of itself but what's happening in most places now is that people are coming because of those things but at no time are they ever being confronted with the gospel are you really born of god and the apostle paul confronted the corinthian church and he said to them this was a church he planted and in his writings he was basically pointing a finger at him and says you better examine yourself and make sure that you're in the faith unless you fail the test where is that going on see what i'm saying what good does it do to have all of this fun social wonderful things there's nothing wrong with if at the end of the day many people end up going to hell because they never really knew the lord so at the end of the day what are we actually accomplishing really and what it's become it's instead of it's a counterfeit what it's become is it's just another thing you know you in neighborhoods now and in communities there's all kinds of fun activities you can get involved in you can get your kids in different programs it's just a social thing well unfortunately the church is trying to adopt that and it's just a social fun thing for families and people are only hearing basically motivational speeches they're hearing things that tell them how do you have a better life now but they're not hearing things that are, have eternal significance you see that's what's concerning it's instead of it's a counterfeit so in the world you have the opposition aspect of the antichrist spirit but in the church you have this deceptive religious thing that looks good it draws numbers it has a veneer of being successful but at the end of the day many will perish because they don't know the lord jesus christ so you're really not accomplishing anything it just looks like you are i tell you the greatest threat to satan is the true gospel being preached under a mighty anointing that's his that's his greatest threat so he wants to blur what the gospel actually is he wants the gospel to be become something other than what it actually is so he'll give people whatever they want this particular group they're involved kind of in this type of religious activity so satan leads them to believe that by their good works and by what they're doing they'll earn their salvation to this group over here their family went to this particular church they go to it so satan deceives them into believing well you're a member of this church so therefore you're going to heaven and so they think their salvation comes through a membership and there's all these little deceptive things that satan will feed people as long as it's not the true gospel and that's the thing that blows my mind look through church history i encourage people go back and study 
revivals of times past. Study the, what has happened. It's amazing to see. You know, in the days, I'll give you an example. In the days of John Wesley, God bless him. You know, I read about his life. He's an awesome man of God. But you know, he grew up, his father was an Anglican preacher. So he grew up in church. He had a lot of siblings. But his mom was awesome. She was real strict on him. You know how the British are, you know, they were real strict about man table manners and all these, you know. And, and he, he grew up in a strict home, which was good for him. Because he learned, you know, to be disciplined and to get things done and, and to be a hard worker, etc. And he, it was good. But the problem was that John Wesley believed that he was saved because of these things. He believed that by his discipline, he disciplined himself to pray so long every day. He disciplined himself to study the word for so many hours. He was zealous. He hung around others that felt the same way. As a matter of fact, in, in the university they were part of, there was a group of people, they, they, they called themselves, they started joining together, called themselves the Holy Club, but it was a group like a Bible study of young people, basically. And they were zealous. But it was interesting because when John Wesley was going to Georgia and here in the States, and of course we're still a British colony at the time, and he was coming here, and he ran into these Moravians, a group of people that have fled because of the trouble that was going on in their homeland. And they were coming to America. And they were on the boat with Wesley. And the storm arises, and it's, it's, it looks like the boat's going to sink, and John is scared half to death. And the Moravians seem remarkably calm, given that they were about to die. <laughs> And so John's like, man, what's going on with you guys? Aren't you scared to die? And they were like, no, not really. We, we know where we're going. And it became something. After they, they survived the journey, John became friends with some of the Moravians. And it became like this debate between them because the Moravians never backed down. They said, John, salvation is found in faith in Christ alone. It is not by your works and John says no he said I find it through I'm disciplined I do this every day I don't do that and this is how I have found the Lord and this debate went back and forth for a while but finally the Moravians under the anointing of the Holy Spirit John was won over and there at that altar's gate it's kind of a famous thing among the Methodists etc but but John said he, he prayed by faith and accepted the Lord. And he wrote in his journal, my heart was strangely warmed. But it's interesting because that was when the move of God really began in his life. He experienced the pure, true gospel. See, it had never been given to him. He grew up, his father was an Anglican preacher. He grew up around all that. He grew up very religious, but he never really knew the Lord. And he couldn't believe that the Moravians had a, a relationship with the Lord. And not only that, but they knew, they were certain within themselves 
that if they were to die, they would go to heaven. And it really shocked him to see that in somebody. But once John was born again, now he had what he needed for the first great awakening to break out in England and America. He was preaching the pure gospel. See, that was what was needed. But here's the interesting thing. And don't ever forget this because, man, I'm telling you, this has cycled down through church history the last 2,000 years over and over and over again. John could not minister among the church people. The churches would never accept his message. He couldn't even minister in his own father's church. So John ended up on the streets preaching the gospel to those that were unchurched because the religious didn't want to hear it. You see that all through history, all through church history. The religious community have their form of godliness but no power. They don't have the true gospel. They don't have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They're content in their dead religion. And then somebody comes in like that under the anointing, preaching the pure gospel, and it's rocking the boat. And they don't want it. They kicked him out. And I'll tell you what ended up happening because John wouldn't give up and wouldn't get discouraged and kept preaching. I'll tell you what happened, the first great awakening. It swept through America, it swept through England, and the masses came to know Jesus Christ is what happened. But it was in spite of the institutionalized church. They were against it. And a religious spirit is against anything that's supernatural of God. It doesn't like the anointing, doesn't like the gifts, doesn't like revival. And every time that the Holy Spirit really begins to move in revival down through the ages you'll see that the religious people were always the greatest enemies to the move of God. It wasn't the lost. The lost people may come in to spectate and may, may kind of make fun or whatever, but a lot of them end up peeling themselves off the floor after they got saved and repenting and they're, they're, they're weeping and wailing before the Lord. It's the religious that sat there with arms folded and said, you know, you'll never push that on me. And, they, and it, they're against it. It's an antichrist spirit and they don't even know it. So Satan offers among God's people a counterfeit, a false gospel. And this structure of religion that's created there, people come in and out but many of them never accept the Lord. They're never convicted of their sin. They certainly don't mature in Christ. I've seen places like that. I, I left one place where I'd simply just helped out with the youth for a little while. I came back years later. Some of the people I saw, you know, they were, their hair had turned gray. They'd aged some, but I'm telling you, they sang the same songs. They same everything. It's like the land time for God. There, nothing had changed. They had their dead religion. They were stuck where they were stuck, and they never went further or deeper in Christ. 
you see? And then the next generation that's coming up in that, they don't want that religious garbage pushed on them because it's just about rules. See, that's the thing that I have a hard time getting through to some people. To some people, it's all about do's and don'ts, and that has its place. It does. And to them, God is boring. They can't imagine why anybody would want to go to church on a Friday or Saturday night, why anybody would ever want to waste their time. It's boring to them because they don't know the Lord. To them, it's just rules, and it's boring. It's religion. If they ever have an encounter with the Lord, if they ever have a relationship with the Lord, they'll never feel that way again. All right, so religion creates a structure, and I'm closing with this, of death. Because what does the gospel bring? The gospel brings life. It brings, it brings a new birth. Jesus said, I've come to give life, life abundant. So where you have the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you have the truth of God's word being preached, you're, you have an atmosphere, an environment of life. But where there's religion, you're going to have an atmosphere of death, spiritual death, and even like a spirit of death over that, that can create all kinds of health problems, etc. So I need to close with this, but let me just give you this, a structure like a stronghold of death which I believe is something we're coming up against in Dallas. I don't have time to get into why I believe that, but there's been enough that's happened that I do believe that. And it's because of a religious spirit. So just like you have a stronghold of religious witchcraft, you have a stronghold of religious death. So you have in this, you have like a strong man of the spirit of death, but underneath that you have other spirits like infirmity, and fear and I'll, I'll talk about that as we go so revelation 6 8 john said look i behold an ashen horse and he who sat on it had the name death the spirit of death and hades was following with him authority was given over him talking about death over the fourth of the earth to kill with the sword famine now look at the different ways death brought death through the sword famine pestilence that's sickness also about wild beast of the earth coming in and slaughtering people so it was different ways that this spirit brought death so where you have a spirit of death you basically have premature death somebody's dying before their time before the lord wants them to die premature death this can come through incurable diseases, chronic illnesses, like wasting away. Premature death obviously will work with a spirit of infirmity, which is a totally different spirit. The spirit of infirmity will not necessarily kill somebody, but a spirit of infirmity will cause things that should heal on its just a normal thing that should heal. It'll never heal. A spirit of infirmity will cause somebody to remain in chronic sickness for years, maybe the rest of their life. A spirit of infirmity will cause somebody to go from one sickness to the next. There was one time that somebody had, had a car wreck. And honestly, you know, people told him, said, man, you know, 
these little injuries should just heal. They didn't understand why the person, just normal injuries that were not that severe, just would not heal, no matter what. And a minister ministered to that person and prayed over them, and under the anointing, took authority and said, I break this spirit of infirmity. I command to leave this body. And after that spirit left, did you know that person just simply a normal healing process came? See, the spirit of infirmity was blocking that. So you have a spirit of death, you have a spirit of infirmity, and you also have a spirit of fear. Now, fear, the Bible links fear and death, and the Bible does call fear a spirit. Now, we know that fear can be a natural reaction, but it can definitely quickly become a spirit of fear, which will come in different ways. You know, if somebody comes in bondage to a spirit of fear, they may have panic attacks. Uh, they may worry about things way too much. They stress too much. It may result in high blood pressure. But nonetheless, there's a spirit of fear. And they work together. And because somebody's having certain types of symptoms, a lot of times they'll be in fear. And because they're in fear, then they end up being told by people certain things. And it creates this like a stronghold of a spirit of death, infirmity, and fear in their life that they can't break free from. So how does a spirit of death come in? Number one, I believe a spirit of death is very linked to religion because religion is death. It's a structure of death. It's a structure of spiritual death and in all, any other realm of just death, religion offers no true life in it. But also, a spirit of death can come in through these different means. Negative emotions that overtake a person. They get into depression, and this may have been in their past. They got into depression and discouragement. They felt lonely and isolated and had suicidal tendencies. So a spirit of death came in on that through the emotions. Another way that a spirit of death can come in is through fear. Fear manifests in the way of really being stressed out, anxiety, worrying about things all the time. Again, it can come in, in ways of panic attacks and even like a mental breakdown, but this is fear-based. And once that is there, that spirit of fear, it makes a way for a spirit of death to come in and begin to try to squeeze the life out of somebody. Also in that, I should have put this in here, but the thoughts, people that are meditating on things continually they shouldn't be meditating on negative thoughts religious type thoughts unrighteous judgment criticism fault finding things like that of other maybe bitterness just keep you know over and over in their mind what somebody did to them and all this about hate is fostering in their mind well the spirit of death can come in through the mind or the emotion and when it comes in, again, it wants to set up a stronghold and begin to squeeze the life out of somebody. And a spirit of death can cause various health problems, incurable diseases, but it can cause damage to the body 
and it can really be a great hindrance so what is the spirit of death after i think that we all would be safe to say this the spirit of death wants to kill somebody before they fulfill their destiny so it's akin to abortion so if you survived that you know you grew up and you weren't aborted as a baby the spirit of death though if, if god's hand is on your life and he wants to use you the spirit of death wants to target you and hit you so that you're never able actually to do anything for god you're too sick you're too oppressed something is a stronghold there something is hindering you from your destiny it's one to take you out Another way that a spirit of death can come in, this can be quite powerful, is through the occult. Witchcraft, divination, sorcery, um, any practices of the dark arts. But in particular, in particular, I would point out that there's a realm of the dark arts that has to do with communicating with the dead. Seances, etc. A form of divination where they're wanting to commune with the dead rituals that involve going to graveyards things like that isn't it interesting see they're they're moving into realms of dark occult spirits some of which have to do with death and let me say this too just for people that don't know but that is the principality behind halloween is the spirit of death Samhain, it's in English, it's spelled S-A-M-H-I-N, I believe. But we would say probably Samhain, but it's pronounced Samhain. But it's the principal spirit behind Halloween. It's a spirit of death. And so that's what's basically one of the things that are being celebrated at Halloween is death. And that's why you see so many things have to do with death. People are, are all over their lawn. They want to spread out all these make it look like a cemetery they don't realize what they're doing or they wouldn't do it because basically they're welcoming a spirit of death they just don't realize they're doing that another way that a spirit of death will come in is through hatred murder was there things in your ancestry like abortions in your bloodline or your past violence bloodshed you know things like that even wars that have been fought but is there something there that has to do with death and murder that can allow a spirit of death to come in so the spirit of death is quite serious and quite powerful and it makes it difficult where a spirit of death is. I've, I've seen this with some people before. Down through the years, I've seen a spirit of death. It really hinders people in their health. And it hinders people mentally and emotionally because that's how it got in most of the time. And it tries to keep them in bondage to whatever toxic emotions and negative mindsets are there. But it's, it's a stronghold that's got to be broken. All right, so I'm closing with that. I want people to be aware of it. But there's a book I really recommend that you get. I want our viewers and people that watch and listen to this by a lady named Becky Dvorak. And it's called Overcoming the Spirit of Death. This is preached in January 2020. And so she appeared on Sid Roth recently. 
So whenever people hear this, may hear this next year, but if you go back to around January 2020, um, you could probably see that episode, but look up Bec Becky Dvorak. I recommend getting that book because it talks about the spirit of death in detail, how it comes in, how to overcome it, etc. And I really recommend that because I believe what a lot of people are facing that have serious diseases, incurable diseases, things that have come upon them, and they haven't been able to shake it. They get prayer, you know, they fast and pray, but they've never broke free. It's because unwittingly at some point in time in either their life or their bloodline, somehow a spirit of death was allowed in. And now that's going to have to be confronted and driven back out. And then there, there'll be freedom. But religion is a bondage of death. And let me just say this as we're going to close down recordings with this. We better make sure that we are preaching the true gospel. Whether it fills up a room or empties that room out. Whether people love you or hate you with a passion. At the end of the day, we better make sure we're preaching the truth of the gospel. Because the gospel is the power of God into salvation. But any other gospel or any other thing, it is a counterfeit of Satan. It is doctrines of demons seducing spirits that are going to send many to an eternity in hell. And I don't want to be responsible. The only way people are going to get into heaven is going to be by their faith in Christ and what he did on the cross. That's it. It's faith in him. And when we put our faith in him, what he did, that he died in our place, he shed our blood or shed his blood for our sin, and we put our faith in him, it results in a new birth. The Holy Spirit enters, you're born again, and you come into a covenant with the Lord. And when you come into that blood covenant, the old things will pass away, everything becomes new, you're a new creation. If you have not experienced that right there, you have experienced a religious counterfeit. And you really, you need to do what Paul said and examine yourself. Are you truly born of God? And the Holy Spirit in you bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. You know him. You have a relationship with him. If you cannot say that, then you better make sure and look to Jesus and pray to him and accept him as your savior. Don't get a counterfeit. You're not going to be saved because you go to some church or because you listen to sermons on the radio all the time or you, you listen to all these podcasts, you watch Christian TV, all these different things. None of that's going to save you. The only thing that's going to save you is your faith in Christ alone. All right. I want to make that real clear because it's not clear nowadays. So turn to him today and pray to him and seek him. Say, Jesus, forgive me for this stale life of religion. I repent. I want to know you. Forgive me. Let me be born again. I turn from my sin. I put my faith in you. Turn to him, okay? Now I want to close with that. Let's shut down recordings.